Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This is Mark Hunter, author of A Mind for Sales, Daily Habits and Practical Strategies for Sales Success, and you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which was named by Forbes as one of 11 smart podcasts that will keep you in the know, and named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. My goal for this podcast is to help us both keep up with the latest ideas in the quickly changing fields of modern marketing and sales. And don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or some other helpful resource that I know of for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction and save you some time. And if you have a question that I can answer, email a voice recording to me at douglas at salesartillery.com and I might play it and answer it in a future episode. I'd love to hear from you. And now, a word from our sponsor. (laughs) This show is a labor of love that I do in my spare time. My day job is running a marketing agency called Artillery, where we work primarily with manufacturers and industrial companies who call us in when they're serious about growth, but have realized that their old school marketing and sales is almost completely ineffective at attracting the modern buyer who doesn't want to be marketed or sold to. In our engagements with clients, we take a sales-based approach to their marketing and help them align their sales and marketing around their most profitable target customers, arm the sales team with technology to make selling easier, create sales content that makes buying easier, not to mention getting better results on Google, and then show them how to insource as much of the marketing as possible. For more about us, visit salesartillery.com. And now, on with the show. Today, we welcome back Mark Hunter to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his new book, A Mind for Sales, Daily Habits and Practical Strategies for Sales Success, published by HarperCollins. With an extensive background in sales and marketing for Fortune 200 companies, Mark Hunter, also known as The Sales Hunter, left his corporate role in 1998 to show companies and salespeople how to maximize profits by prospecting more effectively. Mark is also the author of High Profit Selling, Win the Sale Without Compromising on Price, and High Profit Prospecting, Powerful Strategies to Find the Best Leads and Drive Breakthrough Sales Results. Mark travels more than 200 days per year, speaking globally to corporations and associations, and he's shared the stage with such luminaries as Seth Godin, Simon Sinek, Jill Conrath, Ariana Huffington, Tony Robbins, Jeb Blunt, Tim Sanders, and many, many more. And interesting fact, he is a marketing book podcast listener. Mark, congratulations on a mind for sales and welcome back to the Marketing Book Podcast. 
Thank you for allowing me to be on the other side. I get to hear my own voice here. This is pretty cool. <laughs> well, you sound you sound great, and uh, I could listen to you all day. And I have had the distinct uh, pleasure of seeing you speak uh, at conferences. Uh, I've seen you speak uh, at two times. I've attended the Outbound Conference, and uh, reading the book, it was almost as if. I already knew what the audio version was going to sound like because I could just hear you saying everything in this book. And uh, Outbound actually was uh, delayed because of the coronavirus. You all moved it from May to August at this point, I think? It has been moved to August, but we're looking forward. If everything comes together, we'll all be together in August for Outbound. That's great. It is excellent. And you know what? If a marketer really wanted to get a leg up on everyone else, they would go to the Outbound Conference instead of so many marketing conferences that they go to. But that leads me to my next point, which is, Douglas, what the heck is a sales expert doing on the Marketing Book Podcast talking about a book about sales? Well, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) You see... Marketers who only read marketing books get their heads filled with helium, and they don't understand. (laughs) They start to become people who are maybe a little disconnected from the realities of what their company is doing. And the most successful marketers are the ones who not only read marketing books, but they read sales books, they spend time with their sales team, and they are helping their uh, companies to align their sales and marketing better and just be much more effective. And that's why uh, I want as many sales books on this show as possible. And you, Mark Hunter, are one of those rare switch-hitting authors. That's a baseball term for all you folks outside the baseball playing world. You have done both. You were in sales and you've been in marketing. Does that make me a confused individual or an enlightened individual? I think it makes you ambidextrous. <laughs> okay, we'll run with that one. I like it. Thank you. So it's Thank it's you. it's. Uh, I think it makes your books very compelling and your talks. And uh, maybe I don't know. There's a lot of salespeople that I've met. You know, they connect with me on LinkedIn and they listen to the Marketing Book Podcast. And perhaps they'll listen even more when they find out that Mark Hunter listens to it because you fill your head with lots of things to keep up with what's going on and to keep uh, learning. And it's not just about sales. And we're going to talk about some of those. The book has a brilliant foreword by Anthony Anarino, and uh, that's all he does is just write brilliantly. And I also wanted to mention that it's endorsed by some other folks that I've had the honor of interviewing. And one of them is also a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, James Muir, author of The Perfect Close. And his endorsement is, Mark Hunter has written a genius book that cuts right to the core of what makes the top 1% successful in sales. You, the sales professional, are the biggest factor. You are more important than all the technology in the world, and a mind for sales delivers tight, practical medicine for leveraging your greatest asset, your mind, to not only sell more, but to enjoy life while you're doing it. Every sales professional should read this book. So, Mark Hunter, let's go back in time just a bit and talk about law enforcement, specifically your (laughs) brushes with the law when you were uh, just a little bit younger. Talk about your interaction with the Seattle Police Department, excuse me, I should say repeated interactions with the Seattle Police Department when you were in school, 
college, and how, looking back, that had an enormous impact on what you're doing today. Well, it was the Seattle Police Department, and it was not the same officer. It was different officers each time. I guess I was developing a reputation. Well, see, the problem was I I went to college. No, it wasn't a problem. I went to college to get a degree in marketing because I really wanted to go into your field. I wanted to go into advertising. That was my dream. That that was my dream. And it was all set until um, I had a little problem how I drove a car. I didn't know that in the U.S., you're supposed to drive on the right-hand side of the road. I thought you could drive on whatever side you wanted to. And I thought speed limit signs were for other people, not for me. And, well, what happened was I got a few too many tickets uh, my senior – well, last semester of my senior year, which resulted in me not being able to afford car insurance. So being the astute college graduate, I said, hmm, no advertising job, no marketing job is going to pay me enough money to afford car insurance and my apartment. So I quickly pivoted, got a sales job because they supplied me with a company car. That is how I wound up in sales. But I was such an overnight success. I got fired from that job. Uh, And the second one too, I believe. Oh, come on. Please don't bring that up. Man, you're right. I got fired from my first two. And hey, what I didn't share in the story, what what I didn't share in the book was I really thought I was going to get fired from from my third one too. Uh, But actually it, 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 didn't turn out to be a firing, uh, but yeah, I, I uh, it, it, it took me a while before I really figured out what sales was all about. I'm a slow learner. I made the upper half of my class possible. <laughs> right, that's another thing that, yeah, I can re- definitely uh, relate to that. But for all the folks that are out there, that is a reminder. It's not about getting knocked down. It's about getting back up each time. Oh, I think that's that is so true because I mean, when I first got into sales, I had no clue what I was doing, but man, it was a good-looking Buick. You know, and then I got fired from that job and I went to the second one and it it did it, it took me a couple lessons before I realized you can't jam anything down somebody's throat. I mean, I, I was you talk about a bad case of commission breath. I had commission breath. Yes. Uh I I reeked with it. And I had to really learn that you got to listen to the customer. You have to really understand what the needs are of the customer. And when you do that, hmm, it's amazing how things begin to happen the right way. Yes. So, Mark, can you explain why Monday is your favorite day of the week and maybe what that has to do with one of the greatest films in film history? I'm talking about the movie <laughs> Tommy Boy with Chris Farley. Oh, uh, hey, Tommy Boy. I tell you, not only is it one of it, – it is in my list of top 10 movies. Okay, Monday. Here's the whole deal. I see too many people, what they do – and let's call out salespeople in particular because this is a sales book – is they kind of ease into Monday. And they go, well, Monday, I can't be prospecting. I can't be selling. Nobody really wants to hear from me. So I guess I just better spend my time doing paperwork, getting ready. And what happens is when you ease into Monday – guess what? You have now lost 20% of the week. And oh, by easing into Monday, that 
It's going to mean you're probably going to ease into Tuesday. It is amazing how your performance just simply lag. So my whole premise is I want to start Monday hard. I want to start Monday good. Now we got to weave in the movie Tommy Boy. You're right. There's a little scene in the movie Tommy Boy. And if you haven't seen the movie, buy the movie, send the bill to Douglas Burdett. I'll give you the address. (laughs) Or just find this clip on YouTube. Yeah. 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 Or or just find this clip. Uh, There's a scene where they're in the diner. And uh, Chris Farley wants chicken wings. And he talks the, I'll use the old school term, the waitress into Mm -hmm. turning on the fryers. And good old David Spade says, that was a great job of selling. And Chris Farley goes, well, I didn't have to be successful because we had that meat lover's pizza in the trunk of the car. (laughs) Right. And And he had, he had actually been quite unsuccessful selling. He'd been totally, totally unsuccessful. And the premise of this whole thing was I was working with a company and they said that they have what they call the the Tommy Boy objective. The, the, to, the, the deal is you set yourself an easy goal that you can achieve Monday morning. And by doing this, what happens is you motivate yourself. It, momentum creates momentum. And the whole premise is if I can achieve something early Monday morning, hey, that jazzes me. I can move on. I can get going. So that, that's just one of the techniques that I lay out in terms of how to accelerate the day on Monday and turn it into a successful day and not sit there and waste it away. Because here's, here's what I find. This is what drives me crazy. The, the salesperson or, or, or anybody who sits there and says they're going to spend Monday getting ready, you know what they wind up doing? They also spend Fridays winding down. Well, excuse me. I don't think anybody gets paid for a sixty percent work week. You know, if you want to give up forty percent of your salary, that's fine. I, I don't think too many salespeople, too many people, are signing up for that program. So my whole premise is, I want to hit the ground running and stay running all the way through the week. And so, what then is a pizza goal? Well, a pizza goal. This is the whole thing. It, it's making it something easy that you know you can achieve. For instance, Chris Farley, he knew that if he wasn't successful getting the chicken wings, that he at least had the meat lovers pizza in the trunk of the car. Because okay, he's got that. He's anchored that. You see. So what you do is you achieve something early Monday morning, and that becomes your anchor, and then you build on it from there. And it it really is. It's yeah. It's a mind game. I get it. But you know what? The mind is the most powerful tool we have, and for too many of us, we don't use it. So you say having a pizza goal for Monday is one reason I believe so strongly in making Monday your best day of the week. When we execute Monday well, it's amazing how much better we execute every other day of the week. If you don't buy into this, just watch what happens to a baseball team when they get their first couple of batters on base. Or think about the... Sorry baseball reference. Or think about the smile that comes to the face of a child who, while learning to walk, successfully takes a few steps. Confidence creates confidence. Motivation creates motivation. Momentum creates momentum. And success creates success. So, Mark, on one particular stage, I saw you giving a keynote. You talked about this concept of leadership. What do you mean when you say sales is leadership and leadership is sales. Hey, I got a whole chapter in the book on that. And what the whole premise is, you can't find a top performing salesperson. And I don't mean somebody who's top performing for a quarter, but I mean quarter in, quarter out, year in, year out. You can't find a top performing salesperson that is not also 
a leader. Same token, you can't find a great leader who is also not a salesperson. And a lot of a lot of my keynotes, and you may may have seen that, is I use Winston Churchill and Dwight D. Eisenhower. Churchill and Eisenhower played critical roles in World War II. Both, well, one was a military officer and one was a political figure. Well, were they leaders or were they selling? Well, let me tell you something. They were both, you see. And the same token, you look at great salespeople, Steve Jobs. You know, he was a great salesperson. Was he a great leader? Boy, did he lead the, te the technological revolution? Yeah. You see, it, it's very interesting, but we have to view ourselves in sales as being leaders because we're leading our customers. We have to lead our customers. We have to lead those around us. We are the ones who set the tone and the tempo for any organization. Let's jump to the part of the book where you talk quite a bit about marketing. And Oh, you would have to bring that up, wouldn't you? Just yes, yes. And then we're going to go Yes, we're going to go back to that, but I think mm -hmm. boy, is this the intersection. Chapter 19 is pretty darn controversial and it is titled Quit Thinking Marketing Will Get You Leads. <laughs> and you also write that the fact that so many marketing teams believe it is their primary job to generate perfect leads is a joke. Mark Hunter, what the heck are you talking about? <laughs> Gee, I can I, I, I can sense some people like, okay, where's he going? I don't know if I want to hate him. I don't know. Yeah. Got my attention. Um, I have a security detail with me 24-7. We'll just leave it at that. Here's the whole thing. I love Composed of former uh, Seattle Police Department officers. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> I love I love marketing. Marketing plays a key role to sales. However, this is where I get upset. When salespeople, and see, this is a fault of sales. Salespeople think it's marketing's job to give them all these great, wonderful, perfect leads. So what happens is marketing then begins to believe that that's their job, to serve up great leads. Hey, I want marketing to serve up leads. But please, sales, own it. You're the one that has to close this. Let marketing do what they do best and sales, you do what you do best. Marketing, you do a great job of creating awareness and educating. What I like to refer to from a military term is providing air cover, providing air cover. Sales or artillery support. Or artillery. There you go. Let's work in <laughs> artillery support. Gee, I, I think I know an agency by that. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. And, and this is the role of sales in. Sales job is to then take that and bring it down to that one-to-one -one relationship and make the sale happen. See, so the two work in concert. But what I hate, what I hate is at the end of the quarter when sales doesn't make their numbers. And what do they do? They blame marketing. Right? They automatically blame marketing. And and marketing will say, well, we served up leads. And they say, oh, we served up hundreds of leads or thousands of leads. I don't really care about hundreds of leads, thousands of leads. I only want leads that I can close. Now, what does this come down to? Both sides need to work together. Both sides need to be much more closely aligned than they are. But they have to understand what is the strength of each side and allow each one to stay in their own lane. So tell the story about the two sales guys who were top performers and what their secret was. 
Yeah, their secret was they they simply came alongside a couple of marketing folks and said, let's go out and make some sales calls. Let's go out and make some sales calls. Let's go out and make it happen. Because here's the whole thing. And, and I remember this from my days in marketing. I could sit there and create this unbelievable material. I could create all kinds of collateral material, all kinds of assets. Hey, this looks so beautiful. And then I remember when I was on the sales side getting this stuff and I go, who the thunk thought of this stuff? Mm-hmm. Because it's it's too easy to, to, you know, one's behind a desk and looking at focus groups and looking at panel data and all that sort of stuff. And the other side's out there in the real world. And, and I don't mean what panel data and focus groups is in the real world. It's a real world, but it's it's in mass. And the salesperson is looking at one individual person. It's It's the micro versus the macro. So what these guys did was they said, come on, marketing. Hey, let's go out. Let's go out and ride ride with us. Let's go out and make some sales calls. And then they could very quickly wind up creating very customized, very creative sales materials, assets, collateral that the salespeople could use 100% of the time. Because let's not kid ourselves. How much content do we see marketing teams create that never gets used by sales teams? Why does that happen? Because there's a disconnect of the message versus the voice. The message of the marketing team and the voice of the salesperson. And here's the whole thing. The salesperson is looking at each transaction, is is looking at the marketplace through a straw. Because all they see is their customers. That's all they see. The marketing team is looking at it through a set of binoculars. However, what's happening is the marketing sees everybody in mass. Let's deal with this COVID-19 environment that really the world happens to be in right now. We see everybody talking about social distance and all, all these things. Now, what is it designed to do? It's designed to protect the masses. Yet down at the individual level, people will sit there and say, well, I'm not going to get it. I can do this. I can I can do this. I can do this. You see, because the individual's perception is different than the the health department or the legal, you know, or the politician, you know, you know, what the media is saying. And, and these are just the differences in the messages. So really what I talk about in the book is marketing and sales, you really gotta buddy up. You really gotta be. And, and if that's just joining in on phone calls, joining in on, on Zoom call demos, whatever it might be, but come alongside salespeople, embrace marketing people. Don't shoot arrows at them, please. Right. So to, to all the marketers out there, I, I, it just seems like your percep- how you are perceived by your sales counterparts will change and can change quickly if you ask to go on a sales call you start to follow them along it's it's not that hard it's not that hard you know invite them over for thanksgiving get together for the holidays mm-hmm. i mean it, it is and, and see what you begin to do is you begin to understand what it is the mindset here's the challenge that i find many times with salespeople. Salespeople always want to be confident okay they always want to be confident in their position in their communication, in their dialogue. So they're always going to be a little skeptical of bringing in other content. Marketing, on the other hand, will see all this stuff and they send this over to them and they go, how come sales isn't using it? How come sales doesn't understand the value proposition we've created? How come sales doesn't understand the messaging or why we're doing this, why why we're doing this? 
They don't because they're not confident. And here's the deal. Salespeople are afraid to admit they're not confident. They're afraid to admit they don't know. That's just the, that's just the DNA of salespeople. Mm-hmm. So you, re- you really got to create this, this, this kumbaya relationship. But boy, when you create that kumbaya relationship, it is amazing what can happen. Yes. So there was a section of the book where you talk about the power of knowing about your customers' customers. And this is so true for marketing people, but also sales. Can you talk about what you mean there and why that? I mean, that almost seemed like an unfair advantage when a salesperson knows a lot about their customers' customers. And uh, I guess that's not always the case. It isn't always the case because too many salespeople are out there just trying to sell a product. They're Mm -hmm. just trying to sell a product. Sales is not about selling a product. Sales is about creating outcomes. And nobody buys anything. I don't care whether it's B2B or B2C. Nobody buys anything. They invest. They invest for some sort of an outcome. And I don't care if it's consumer packaged goods. I don't care if it's capital expenditures. I don't care what it is. There's an outcome that they expect. And the whole piece here is that I got to understand as a salesperson, I'm selling to you, but where does this ultimately wind up? Where does this ultimately wind up? And the more I understand that customer, and and this is really, a, I I think, a a mindset that I developed when I grew up in consumer packaged goods. And, of course, you know, we would sell to retailers who ultimately sold to consumers. So you really had to know who your customer's customer is. But, boy, in the traditional B2B environment, that's not the case. That just, there is a total lack of knowledge. So I say go downstream. When you go downstream, it is amazing what insights you can bring back up to your customer. And what does this do? This changes. You talk about sales as leadership. Bingo. This is where you become the leader. This is where you become the leader because now you can bring insights back to your customers about their customers. And, and, and again, I, I think the, the advertising world has done a much better job with this. But again, see, because salespeople aren't confident, they don't know how to use it. So again, this comes back to this whole kumbaya moment that we have to have between sales and marketing. It's so interesting. Years ago, when we were much more in the ad game here, we had a client that was a personal injury law firm. And at one point, we went out with a camera crew, and we were stopping people who were walking by our building and just asking them a few general questions about lawyers and and, and law firms. And... So we cut that together, and the client came over. The clients came over. These were attorneys, you know, um, and we, I think we all, you know, make up your own lawyer joke. And uh, they came by, and they were normally talking. They would always dominate the conversation. You know, they were experts. We showed this video to them, and it was the only time I'd ever heard them shut up for any period of time because they they were so interested in what these customers were saying, and then they associated that with us, like, oh, wow, maybe you actually have some insight into the people. And of course, they did too, but it was just amazing. It was almost like the the curtain had been drawn back by Toto behind the, the Wizard of Oz. Can you tell the story of the CEO of the manufacturing company that employed thousands and who who had no idea 
who they were, who was using their products. I, this is mind blowing because I see so many organizations that the powers that be at the top have no clue because I, I basically call them glorified spreadsheet jockeys. Mm-hmm. And in this situation, in 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 this situation, what what happened was they look at the marketplace and. It's funny because I've seen this happen twice, and I'm going to share a little different story than what I sh- shared in the book, but it's really kind of relevant. I remember it was a company I used to work for. There was a president there for a br- very brief time. I-, I couldn't put it in the book because he was still alive at the time, but he has since died. Okay, so I can talk about him. <laughs> wow, that was dark, wasn't it, man? <laughs> and it was interesting. He had no clue, no clue who our customers were, zero, zero, and he had no interest. He had zero interest. And it was interesting. When the marketplace turned, he couldn't figure out why. When we tried to explain to him why. And see, what, I, what I'm talking about here in the book is that we have to make sure that everybody is aligned in the marketplace on the customer and the customer's customer. Because as we're seeing right now in this COVID-19 world, there's a lot of industries that are just getting hammered, but there's other industries that are absolutely taking off. And this becomes more important right now than ever because what I'm telling all my clients, what I'm telling everybody right now is you better understand downstream, all the way downstream, how your customers are behaving. Because in a PC world, post-COVID world, which we'll get to, it's going to be amazing how different industries ramp back up faster and other industries don't. And I'll tell you what, if you don't understand those insights, you're going you're to be in a world of hurt. So this particular CEO that I'm talking about in the book had zero clue, but thought, well, we, we just put in place enough systems. We just put in place enough you know, processes. We'll be okay. No, no. You see, it comes down to, I can have all the numbers in the world, but what's it say behind the numbers? What does it say? And unless I'm connecting and hearing the backstory, I'm never going to know what's going on out there. Yes, and it brings to mind a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast a couple of years ago. He'd been, he wasn't working in marketing, but he had been thinking about getting back into it, and he'd been listening to this podcast. And he messaged me while he was uh, interviewing for the job, and he says, you know, I think I've learned enough uh, just listening to your show that I, I, I kind of know what I'm talking about in this uh, job interview. <laughs> I think he was a pretty sharp guy anyway. And uh, then he later came back and said, hey, I got that job. And uh, then uh, a few months later, he said, you know, can you recommend a book that would help me learn more about this specific business-to-business technology that, that they had? And I said, well, <laughs> I'm sure one is out there. You know, they, they, I think it had to do with water filtration or something like that. And I said, look, uh, I'm sure there's books out there. There's all kinds of materials you can learn about the technology behind uh, your, your company's products and services. And you should, but you're never going to know as much as the experts in your firm, all those engineers and everything. What I suggested to him was that instead, he become the expert on their customers. Mm-hmm. And I gave him a couple books to read and suggested to, you know, I gave him a couple articles about what he should do. Sure enough, he came back a few months later and said, holy cow, it works. <laughs> I'm the expert on the customer now. And when I start talking in these meetings, everybody quiets down. They're really listening to me. So, See, I, 
I got to jump in there for a second because that was a classic case where you didn't have to buy this elaborate system. You don't have to buy this. And, and, and again, this is what I see too many management. And, and, and I talk about it in the book on several occasions where companies go out and invest millions of dollars into <laughs> systems. I'm laughing to keep from crying because one of them was over a million dollars that you talked about. It's some sort right. of CRM system. Right. It was a CRM system that they invested over a million dollars. And boy, believe me, they drank the Kool-Aid. Let me tell you something. Some of the best salespeople in the world work for SaaS companies because they sell they sell systems. They sell, they sell things that companies don't need. Yeah. And again, I, I go through a whole process in there in terms of how to evaluate that. But see, what, what happens is because they think the solution is by buying a solution. No. The solution is just by listening and asking the right questions. And for this gentleman, I hope you got a finder's fee for that job. I, <laughs> I hope he gave you some sort of a some sort of a commission on it. Yeah, well, you know, maybe he left a, a an iTunes review, which uh, you're all encouraged to do. Um, and if you don't know how, go to marketingbookpodcast.com. There's an article that shows how even a knucklehead can do it. How do I know it's a knucklehead? Because I know how to do it, and I wrote an article about it. It's just three steps. But I digress. So, one of the last thing I wanted to mention, though, is you said uh, one of the fastest ways to gain a response from a senior level person in a company you sell to is by sending them an email with a link to a newsworthy story about one of their customers. And so it wasn't like you're you had to write that article. And one of the tips, one of the tools, though, I know we're talking about tools. You know, we're not talking about tools, but and you didn't mention the book, but Feedly. Anytime I've spoken to a group of salespeople, they really light up when I tell them about Feedly. Go to Feedly.com, and it's this thing that's a RSS reader, and it brings up all these articles, and you can organize them, and you can look at that and not waste a lot of time going through a bunch of websites, but you can see the headlines. And if you're following the right kind of blogs or news services, you are going to find stuff right after it publishes that you can then share with your prospects. It really has a big... uh, impact. So I had never heard of Charlie Tremendous Jones. Who, really? Yeah. Wow. I, you oh, know, wow. uh, who you quoted in the book. And uh, actually, you know, I didn't know that. You know, Mark Hunter, there's a, there's a lot of things I don't know. And in the book, you actually mentioned that the smartest people don't think they're smart. And I thought, oh, then I should be getting, they should be, Mensa should be calling me. Because, uh, yeah, I know there's so much I don't know. And the more I learn, the more limited I know my learning is. So, uh, But you talked about Charlie Tremendous Jones, who had, had a very successful sales career. I went and watched some of the videos. He's, he's passed away. But um, you said, he said, you are today who you will be in five years, except for the people you meet and the books you read. Now, you mentioned you're in Omaha. There's a very rich guy who lives in Omaha, Nebraska, and I, you know, could be you, but I'm actually referring to someone else. Um, I'm talking about Warren Buffett, one of the richest men in the world. Why does he try to read 500 pages a day? Well, it comes down to that intelligence has knowledge, as he says, knowledge has a compounded effect. He reads 500 pages a day. Think about it. You do that day in, day out, year in, year out as he's done. What does that make him? Makes him incredibly wise. The man has a knowledge resource. See, this again comes back to our mind is the greatest app we'll ever have. 
and 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 I got to go down a real quick rant here, real quick rant. Please don't this hold is, back. This is why, or as Mike Weinberg, Weinberg would say, preach, preach. Okay, here we go, man. This is why I can't stand companies that sit there and say, oh, if we just get an, if we just get app, if we just get an app for this, a tool for this, a, uh, you know, program for that, then we'll know. And then what you do is you wind up becoming victim. You become held to hostage by all the programs and the systems and the apps, and you can no longer think. And then you wonder why you're missing quota. I call out in the book, which is going to earn you the president's award trip to Hawaii? Well, okay, it may not happen right now, but it will. It will. Which is going to earn you the president's award trip to Hawaii by having your CRM system up to date or blowing your quota out of the water? Hmm. Let me think about that. Hmm. Just leaving that thought there for you to think about. Hey, can can I run back to Charlie Tremendous Jones? Last yes, time but I, let me let me add to yeah, that. You you yeah. write that snake oil has merged with the shiny object and it is oh, sucking yeah. people into the world of apps and hacks in the form of sales enablement programs. And you write that many times the solution you are looking for is not to be found in a tool. Preach it. Preach it in the words of Mike Weinberg. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is. This. Hey, well, back to Charlie. Back to Charlie. Last time I was with him was in San Diego. I still remember it. He is failing eyesight, unbelievably poor health. He has his assistant who is literally walking, holding arm in arm, walking him around. He has a cane. He has literally got major health issues. And yet he goes, Mark tremendous day tremendous to see you isn't it fantastic what we have to look forward to today and to tomorrow and i think back on that right now as to the situation as to how people are feeling right now in many situations here's a gentleman who had every reason to be down he was he could light up a room any room with his mind. That's really what we need right now. And he was a big, big proponent of reading books. Oh, he wrote books. He wrote books and he sold books. He had a, he, he, his library was astronomical. I never got to his home. I, I, I wish I could have seen his home, but he was a prolific, uh, but he was a voice. He was a voice of positive, of mm. optimism. Mm. So, Mark, Chapter 17, the title, which I'll tell you what it is, I'll tell the listener what it is in just a minute, it brought to mind the Saturday Night Live skit from years ago that Mike Myers did in the personage of Linda Richmond, host of a TV show called Coffee Talk, and she had a very thick uh, New York accent, and it was uh, Linda Richmond, Coffee Talk. And in the course of these interviews she would be doing, she would introduce topics. And so she would say something, and I'm going to do my best uh, Linda Richmond uh, impersonation. She would say, the Holy Roman Empire was neither holy nor Roman nor an empire. Discuss. Or she would say, the Industrial Revolution was neither industrial nor a revolution. Discuss. So I just couldn't get her out of my mind while reading chapter 17, which is, Social selling is neither social nor selling. Discuss. I am laughing my head off right now. Douglas, I'm going to go find that clip when we get done here. That's priceless. It, it is. It, this, hey, this drives me nuts, social selling. 
Come on, let's not kid ourselves. How many times have you ever seen somebody or somebody's tried to connect with you on some social media site and then you connect with them and two seconds later they start selling to you? I've heard it Come referred on. to by Ron Tite and others as pitch slapping. Pitch slapping. Yeah, <laughs> it, it drives me nuts. So, hey, here's the whole thing. Social. My whole objective. I'm on social media. I'm on social media a lot. But my objective of social media is from really an advertising and marketing standpoint. My whole role is to create awareness and educate and to share. Okay, My objective with a connection online is to have an offline conversation. I'm not going to sit there and try to pitch you suddenly, try selling you this magical snake oil that I've got for you, this unbelievable shiny object and how it's going to turn around. Now, here's where it really makes me upset because people sit there, social selling. Oh, the telephone is dead. Oh, oh, traditional selling is dead. You, you got to do everything through social selling. Handwritten so, notes are dead. Right, right, handwritten notes, you, know, you can't do that. You got to do everything through social media. So let's go out and buy all this program. Because you know what they are? They're afraid. No, they never got the memo that their smartphone is also a telephone. It's amazing. <laughs> it really is kind of amazing. You know that you could, you know that I have an iPhone. Did you know that I can talk on my iPhone? That's really kind of amazing. <laughs> oh, I thought they phased that out. Well, I don't know, but but see, th- this is what's so funny. So what, and and, what and there's never yeah. been a better time for a telephone call to break through because no one seems to uh, want to use it. Oh, that's right. I mean, the telephone now, especially in this COVID world that we're in, is um, I'm finding from salespeople I talk to all over and myself, I'm having better conversations, excluding this conversation right now with you. Yes. Uh, it, it, it's really, noted. Yeah, noted. Thank you. We will edit that out. Mark, this is the last time Mark Hunter will be on this show. Uh, I won't tell you about my next book coming out then. Okay. Um, you better it, write the one that I told you you need to write. I know. I know. That, hey, that's our deep, dark secret. Okay. Okay. Actually, actually that is in the queue. That That is in the queue. So, See, sometimes – let me just go off uh, script here. Occasionally, I sense a need for a book that hasn't been written or maybe it's one that hasn't been very well covered. And finally, I got on to a call with this guy, Mark Hunter, and I said, Mark, here's the reason why you need to write this particular book. And what did Mark Hunter say? He said, wow, my publisher's been telling me the same thing. And I said, oh, yeah, well, don't listen to your publisher. I know, I know. Okay, but but the, we're going to tease that. We're not going to tell them what it is. That's right. We will. We, hey, stay tuned for episode number four sixty four of the <laughs> right. podcast. Okay, how's that sound? Okay. Um, what, what was that? What was I talking? Oh, oh, hey, here's the whole thing about social. oh about social selling. Yeah, social selling. There's a line in there I use. You've heard me use it from the stage. You can't take clicks and likes to the bank. Because when people start getting hung up, when people start getting excited about social media, they think all they have to do is post enough on social media. Just throw enough stuff out there. Throw enough stuff out there. And I get enough clicks. I get enough likes. My bank does not take clicks and likes. And it is a, it is a rat hole that you will fall into. You say clicks and likes are a virus in your mind. Bingo. And you say... I will use LinkedIn to gather insights. I will use it to create long-term connection. I am not going to use it as my mass prospecting or sales tool to generate sales today. 
Bingo. It's a long-term play. It's a long play. It's kind of the same value I place in networking events. I, you know, I talk in the book about networking events. Net networking is a long-term play. I don't go to a networking event today thinking I'm going to suddenly get all kinds of business. It's not going to happen. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned in the book and you mentioned just now, and, and we tell clients this all the time, and it always seems to surprise them, maybe early in an in a, in engagement with them. But we say, look, the purpose of all this online stuff we're helping you with is to get offline. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I, I you know, it. I think other agencies should probably they, they would their credibility would also be boosted by saying that. Like, like, we're, no, we're not trying to sell these industrial products online. No, right. we're we're trying to make your sales team really angry at us because they're having to talk. They're having way too much customer facing time, which you call CFT. So, speaking of customers, Mark Hunter. I think we have all heard someone in a company talk about a stupid customer. I mean, everyone. You know, it's, it's an, I can understand why people might think that. Explain what you mean when you say there is no such thing as a stupid customer and why you should run away from anyone who thinks your customer is stupid. Well, yes. When you start thinking, stupid, I have stupid customers, stupid customers are a result of stupid salespeople. Okay, let's just call it what it is. Here's the problem with it. As soon as you start thinking one customer is stupid, you're going to start thinking every customer is stupid. When you start thinking, when you start saying stupid customers, what have you done? You have failed to really create the right relationship with them. You have failed to really understand them. You failed to really understand who they are and how you can help them. Stupid customers become a disease. And here's what's going to happen. And I've seen this happen. I can show you all kinds of email trails where somebody will sit there and put in an email. Well, that's stupid customer. And somewhere in the daisy chain of emails, that winds up getting back to the customer. Or somebody winds up saying in front of a customer, well, gee, that's a really stupid customer. That's a really stupid customer. And what does it do? It begins to pollute the entire mindset of the organization. Now, you may have customers that are not enlightened. You may have customers, but you know what? You're going to respect them. You may have high maintenance customers. Then that's an issue you got to deal with. That's an issue you got to deal with in terms of having them understand the expectations of what you can do and what you can't do. Or you simply take a big enough price increase that they go elsewhere or they pay you enough money that you put up with their pain. That's, that's a whole separate issue. But you, it really – see, in a, a book of mine for sales, it really comes down to your headset. How, what, what is your mind thinking? Because what your mind is thinking is very quickly going to become what you wind up saying. So the whole premise around stupid customers, uh, it's, a, it's, it's a hole you fall into. Mm-hmm. It's and a landmine, and it's, it's, it's very it's, dangerous. It's a landmine, and you never get out of it. And we don't have time for that. We don't have time for that because it's, it, it, it's going to corrupt your whole mindset. Yeah, I had a boss once in uh, New York who was uh, you know, a great leader, and he was a fairly senior guy at this enormous ad agency, Gray Advertising. And I can remember him a couple times saying, you know, I'm, I'm never going to criticize the client. And it just sort of set the tone because I think right. he was sort of aligned with you like, well, why is the client making these decisions? What, you know, what, what is it that we're doing? You know, so I, th I thought that was very helpful. So I think that if people could remember, you know, there are no stupid customers it really changes uh, the 
yeah, it changes things. I think for a good reason. If you do hear someone saying something about a stupid customer, that tells me that there's a big opportunity to get a lot of insights into your customers that probably are not floating around in the in the ether. So can you explain what you mean when you uh, recommend don't spend your time answering questions, spend it questioning the answers? We don't go down deep enough in any conversation with any customer. Customer may share with us a piece of information and we accept it. Why? Why? Let's challenge it. Let's ask a question on it. Go deeper. I always look at any conversation I have with a customer as if they were an onion and I'm peeling layers. I'm just peeling layers. And until I get 30, 40 layers of the onion off, or I don't know, I haven't peeled an onion lately, uh, then you really don't know what's really happening. So what I find is that too many times we walk in with this canned set of questions. <sighs> See, here's the whole thing. The, the, the most beautiful question you can ask is the question that the customer can't answer and you can't answer. Now, think about that for a moment. If, if both the customer and you can't answer a question that you've thrown out on the table, huh, what does that do? That creates one amazing conversation. And you know what else came to mind when I read that was you as a salesperson are not asking leading questions you already know the answer to that you're trying to lead them to. That is so <laughs> that is so stupid and so uh, transparent when they're doing that during a discovery call. I mean, was it just me or <laughs> Oh, that happens all the time. We have these questions and they and they're, the whole idea of leading questions. So, Mr. Burdett, when did you stop loving your children? Yeah. I mean, come on, people. Aren't we past that? Aren't we past? And yet I see this played over time and time again in demo scripts. I see right. And it's like, I just want, I just want, oh, please, please, you're killing me. Yeah. Oh. So, Mark, the future of sales. I always get a little irked when I say, oh, salespeople are going away. My sense is that sales is becoming much more difficult. You have to have a lot more skills and talent, and that in the years ahead, people who are in sales are going to be doing pretty well. What Talk about the future of sales. My sense is that a lot of people ask you, where is this all going? I, I, totally, I totally agree, and that's the reason I, I have a chapter in there on the future of sales. First of all, transactional sales aren't going to need a salesperson. Okay, those are gone. Yeah, yeah. That's like that, a commodity? That's, or That's a commodity. That's simple. That, that's one computer talking to another computer. That's AI in its, in its most basic form. But here's the whole thing. The, the typical buying decision is becoming much more complex, and there is a the level of information out there is incredible. Now, it's not the role of sales to bring the information. It's the role of sales to bring the questions to challenge the information. It goes back to what we, we were just talking about. Because here's the whole thing. If, if I'm a customer, I can find anything I want to know out, out on the internet. It, you know, it, it's amazing. It's all out there. But what I don't have the ability is I don't have the ability to sort, process, and understand how does that fit. This is the role of the salesperson. The role of the salesperson. The role of the salesperson tomorrow is going to be augmented and supported with AI. The role of, of the salesperson is going to be to take advantage of every type of, of R&D. When I say R&D, research and development asset that I can get. Because my objective is to help educate the customer by helping them see 
where it actually fits. Let's, ta let's take a look at CRM systems, okay? CRM system. Every company says they need a CRM system. There, there's a, a, any number of, of pieces of knowledge out there, any number of systems. But the role of the salesperson is to help you understand what is the right one for you? What mm -hmm. is the right? Because we all get caught up in shiny object syndrome. And my objective as the salesperson is to get the shiny object out of there so that what you choose to invest, and again, you're investing, you will get the ROI that you're looking for, whatever that ROI is. Uh, I'm, I'm bullish on the future of sales. I am very bullish. And this piece that we're in right now in terms of COVID world and so forth, I think it's going to – it makes our job even more important. Yes. And really allows us to reach even more people because of the technological – now the acceptance of, of Zoom and Skype and everything else. Uh, we truly play in a global world. Yes, and my daughter – who is a college senior. She came home for spring break, and the next thing you know, she got a message from the school saying, don't come back, and <laughs> we don't know about graduation either. So she's uh, you know, upset about that, and that's happened to a lot of folks. But I have been trying to make her more aware of what a career in sales could do, or at least start out in sales, because I, I don't have any of those uh, you know, negative associations that have been created by a generation of really bad <laughs> salespeople. I, I think it's, I think it looks, it looks great. And, uh, I would encourage folks to, to get out there. And that's why I have such admiration for people who are in sales and people who write books about sales. So Mark Hunter, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? I would hope that they take away that sales is not a job. It's not a profession. Sales is a lifestyle. Because your objective is to influence and impact people. And when you do that, you're going to help them see and achieve what they did not think was possible. That's a pretty exciting thing to wake up for. Absolutely. And that's a, a lot of what's in the beginning of the book. And I didn't ask you about the sales as a lifestyle, but I did have to mention that it reminded me when I was younger, like in high school, 10 years ago, and I... Um, they had these TV commercials on, and it was for the to recruitment to join the U.S. Navy. And the slogan was they, they would show all these exciting things of Navy people doing things like, you know, being in submarines or flying jets off of aircraft carrier decks. And it would say, "The Navy, it's not a job; it's an adventure." <laughs> and that came to mind when you kept talking about what you mean by sales is a lifestyle. And I think it's a, it, it, again, it makes for a, a bright future. And I think a lot of people in sales would be really jazzed up and uh, excited and encouraged uh, about that if they read it. So, what is one thing the listener could do today to put in action? One of the many ideas from your book. Look at your customers and right next to where you list their names, write down all the outcomes that you help them achieve. Oh. Not what you sell them, not what you sell them the outcomes they achieve. And when you get done creating that list, I'll tell you what, you're going to feel really good. And it's going to make you excited to go out there and make a difference with people. Amen. And that's why you, you really focus on understanding the key outcomes you can provide to customers. And I would say, don't be afraid of thinking about the emotional outcomes that they're looking for. When you said that customers are investing in an outcome, the more you can understand, it goes for you marketers too, the more you can understand what is the 
outcome folks want to invest in. It brought to mind your onion that you mentioned, or in the, my office building here, there's like a dozen therapists. And uh, Anthony Anarino argues that they're here in this building because they want to be near me because they- I, I was going to say something, <laughs> but I was going to let it go because it's, it's your show. Yeah, right. Well- and, and so, you know, uh, they want to be near a – it's like a, a manufacturer being near a larger uh, manufacturer. They want to be there, you know, part of their supply chain. So clearly, I, I attract therapists. That's my point. But it brings to mind what David Sandler, the great sales trainer, uh, said that he talks about how when people become psychologists or psychiatrists, one of the first things they're taught is that the first problem the patient brings you is never the real problem. <laughs> so when you're trying to invest in that outcome, think about what it is they really, really want. So are there any upcoming uh, books or um, that you recommend or are looking forward to uh, seeing? Well, you know what's funny? I, I've been kind of abstaining from reading for the last 60 days because I've been so buried with this book launch. Uh, but there's two books that really stand out, and it's two books that stand out in my mind. One, you know the author well, Mike Weinberg, hashtag sales truth, which I think is so spot on. I, I love that book. I did too, and he was on the podcast recently, and uh, it he does not uh, – he's like he's like the, the four titans. There's the, – you know. For those who don't know, the four titans are the ones that are the they spearhead the outbound conference, and they write the best books. And I think I've done a total of ten interviews now with them, <laughs> all wow. the books. Wow! And I'm getting ready to interview uh, Jeb Blunt again uh, soon right. about his new book, Inked. Inked. But it's uh, Mike Weinberg, Anthony Anarino, Mark Hunter, and Jeb Blunt, and those. Uh, it's just uh, just amazing. So. Uh, Mike Weinberg, in particular, nobody calls BS on sales, self-styled sales gurus as Mike Weinberg. Oh, yeah. He, he, he just puts it out there, and he doesn't care what anybody thinks. And, loved, uh, loved, loved that book. And, and, and I still go back to Chapter 4. We won't – well, Chapter 4 talks about the, uh, polit- the presidential campaign of – <laughs> a few years ago. And I remember when, 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 when he wrote that, he, he shared that with me when he was writing it because we both use the same publisher. And he said, Mark, do you think I'll get pushback? I said, yeah, I'm sure you will get pushback. And, and he had to go through a few hoops to get them to do it, but they did it. And I'm not going to say anything more than that. Well, but it worked. It worked. They, in other words, it's like touching a third rail, uh, but it worked and it was, it was very clear. The other book I read a year ago, and I'm coming back to it again, Ray Dalio Principles. That is just a gold mine book for anybody in business and really in life. Um, so anyway, so th- those are two hot books that I really recommend. And of course, that other book called A Mind for Sales, but that, that's beside the point. Yes. And speaking of A Mind for Sales, if people go to amindforsales.com, you'll be able to find out more about this book. And we're going to include a link to that at marketingbook.com podcast.com. And we're going to include links to your social media and your LinkedIn profile so folks can learn more about you and maybe even connect and thank you for coming back on the on the show. And for you, dear listener, if you're listening on your smartphone and you've subscribed to the Marketing Book Podcast on your favorite podcast app, all these links can be found by going to this episode and clicking on the show notes link. The name of the book is A Mind for Sales, Daily Habits and Practical Strategies for Sales Success. The author is Mark Hunter. Mark, thank you very much for returning to the Marketing Book Podcast. 
Thank you. You're always a great host. You read the book. I love it. Thank you, Douglas. <laughs> and that closes the book on episode 278 of the Marketing Book Podcast. For more, check out this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or other helpful resource for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. My name again is Douglas Burdett. And if you'd like to record a question that could be played and answered on a future episode, please go to marketingbookpodcast.com and record it. And please join us next time as we welcome Melanie Diesel to talk about her book, The Content Fuel Framework, How to Generate Unlimited Story Ideas. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. This episode was produced by Jessica Ambrose. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 